Today on Ag News Daily. There are plenty of cattle to be slaughtered right now uh, relative to shackle space. Uh, I think one of the things that we continue to see is that uh, running these processing plants, uh, the, the labor to do that has been tough. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are live today from the World Pork Expo here in Des Moines, Iowa. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, what are you thinking about Iowa so far? Honestly, Delaney, it is pretty hot. I've been carrying around my backpack all day, which probably isn't a good idea (laughs) because my shoulder blades are hurting a little bit, but I'm making it so far. And we've had a lot of good food. We've uh, not gotten to spend a ton of time together, but we've talked to quite a few folks. I've talked to maybe more producers and you've talked to maybe more folks in the industry. So we've gotten a lot of good insight of what's going on this year in the pork industry. And we're going to be bringing some pretty great interviews and content here later this week. Absolutely, we will, Delaney. And I actually joined the press conference earlier this morning to kick things off at World Pork Expo. And I've got to say, they've raised a lot of concerns, I guess, in the the conference about topics that producers should be aware about. And one of those, of course, is a harvest line speed is that piece Mm -hmm. of legislation. It is being talked about a lot right now, and I just wanted to point out a couple of things that were pointed out during the conference that I thought were very interesting. We keep talking about how we are wanting to increase supply chain. I mean, the supply chain initiative that that task force under Biden was just announced earlier this week. But if this harvest line speed legislation was put into place, uh, NPPC representative, I can't remember who it was um, as of right now, but they said that 2.5% of capacity would decrease or, you know, be out of the supply chain. And we keep talking about increasing capacity. So I think that there's a little bit of kind of pullback there on, you know, what this legislation is going to mean. So I thought that that was quite Mm -hmm. interesting. I mean, they also talked about Prop 12, a lot of conversation about Prop 12, labor shortage, climate change, of course, trade, um, the Philippines and market access to to them, imports of U.S. pork and expansion to Vietnam. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of great conversation this week. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be bringing you those folks. So be sure to stay tuned in with us. And honestly, those conversations are probably going to continue into next week because we've got a lot of great ones. We've had a lot of great conversations so far. We're going to continue to have those great conversations. But folks, if you are at the World Pork Expo this week, be sure to stop by and say hi. I'll be in the Varied Industries building at the Trader PhD booth throughout the week, and Ashton's floating around, so you'll probably see one, if not both, of us. I actually talked to a current uh, listener earlier today. That was pretty fun just to catch up and Folks, do listen, Ashton. I'm glad. I'm glad. I I see the numbers, but sometimes I I think that they might just be fake or or bots listening in. There's people really listening. But uh, with all that aside, Ashton, let's hop in to talk some news for today. What do you have to kick it off? Well, I actually have some cattle news to talk about today, even though we are at Pork Expo. And we're going to be talking cattle later on with our interview for today. We're not quite getting into pork just yet. But a cattle market transparency bill was introduced into the House earlier this week. U.S. Representatives Emanuel Cleaver and Vicki Hartzler, both from Missouri, have introduced legislation in the House that would increase transparency and price discovery within the cattle market. Of course, this is not a new idea. We've been talking about this at least since I've been on the podcast, Mm -hmm. of course, since I joined. I've been having to keep up with the time, so it, it might even be even longer than I can remember. But 
The optimizing the cattle market act of 2021 would require the secretary of agriculture to establish regional negotiated cash and grid trade mandate that packers report the number of cattle scheduled to be delivered two weeks in advance and create a contract library. Hartzler said that this bill has added provisions from legislation that she sponsored last year, like a cost-benefit analysis by USDA to determine if cattle producers are making more money and providing training for producers on how to use the contract library. Companion bipartisan legislation has been introduced in the Senate by Nebraska's Deb Fisher and Oregon's Ron Winden. And the bipartisan legislation is endorsed by the American Farm Bureau Federation, Livestock Marketing Association, Missouri Cattlemen, and Missouri Beef Farm Bureau. So it sounds like they are getting quite some support. Well, since you talked about uh, producer margins there, but I'm going to talk about pork producer margins since we are at the World Pork Expo. I was reading some news here earlier today, and the Sterling Pork Profit Tracker, they also do beef beef profit tracking as well, but the Sterling Pork Profit Tracker is reporting that for the week ending June 3rd, or excuse me, June 4th, uh, packer margins have increased compared to the previous week. Packer margins are, excuse me, producer margins, man, I'm way off there. Producer margins have increased as of June 4th for fair to finish feeders. Their margins have gotten up to about $91.46, and I think that comes as no surprise as we're continuing to see the lean hog market here push ahead. Had a lot of questions, been having a lot of questions today about, hey, where are markets going from here? And we may get into some of those conversations later in the week, but things are certainly exciting right now for hog producers. And I think that there could be continued demand, continued reason for us to see supported prices at these levels because China has just announced that they're going to be expanding their pork reserves in their latest effort to control prices. I was actually talking to a guy earlier today who I think he said he was a CTA, but he deals with not only U.S. prices, but also comparing that to the spreads and comparing that to see how Chinese pork prices are trading. He said for the first time in ever, as far as he knew, uh, U.S. prices were finally higher than Chinese prices. So China is still dealing with elevated prices as well there, but they're expanding their pork reserves in an effort to control prices and have quote, have things, quote unquote, in the reserves. So they're looking to make some major moves here on the export-import side of things, and I'm hoping that they're going to come to the U.S. for some of those pork needs. Well, Delaney, I'm glad that you had a bit of pork news for us, but uh, unfortunately, I did not. So I'm going to kick things over talking about the U.S. waterways as the EPA and the Army earlier today announced their intent to revise the definition of U.S. waterways that can be regulated, reversing the rollback of a key federal water rule by the Trump administration that farmers, ranchers, and manufacturers had previously applauded. The agencies reviewed Trump's navigable waters protection rule and determined that it, quote, significantly reduced clean water protections, which is a major concern as states, of course, in the West are facing severe drought conditions Mm -hmm. as of lately. Well, not even folks in the West, Ashton, but I was talking to quite a few folks here in the Dakotas, Minnesotas, Northwest Iowa, we're still getting a lot of drought in those areas, a lot of frost. Well, not a frost now, but weather is definitely a concern nationwide, it sounds like. 
It certainly is. And and the reason that I really say West is because in, in this article, it says that in the review of the Trump rule, the agencies found that in New Mexico and Arizona specifically, nearly every one of over 1,500 streams assessed were found to be outside of jurisdiction and not able to be regulated. So it sounds like this revisiting of this, mm-hmm. this rule is going to uh, have some significant impact, it sounds like, and not just on farmers and ranchers, but of course, manufacturers as well as those companies are uh, struggling. If, if we struggle, they struggle. So it's kind of a, a domino effect there, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And while we're on the topic here of the West, California is continuing to see a buildup of empty shipping containers at three of their major ports, which is slowing the ability of the U.S. grain exporters to be able to meet some of the sizable upticks we've seen here in global demand. This came out earlier today, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. They said that the three major ports, Los Angeles, Long Beach, and Oakland shipments are up 36% from this time last year, but congestion is also up. And California exports about, or supports about, I should say, about 50% of all U.S. exports for numerous ag commodities. So we're continuing to deal with a little bit of that supply chain disruption there. Uh, But we're continuing to ship exports, just not as quickly as perhaps we'd like to. Well, Delaney, like I said earlier in the podcast, the supply chain initiative under the Biden administration was just introduced earlier this week. So hopefully once, you know, that gets up and rolling, we won't see as many issues as we have been. I mean, you and I have, of course, talked about all the hiccups that have gone on in transportation this year. I don't know if it's like this typically every year, Delaney. You're going to have to let me know. Mm. I'd like to pretend I pay attention this much, and I do, but I don't. I don't know. I don't have a perspective on this one. Gotcha. Well, uh, a lot of different people have a lot of different perspectives. That is very true, uh, mm-hmm. especially on the infrastructure debate that's been going on in Washington D.C. And we have some updated information here as President Biden has ended infrastructure negotiations with the GOP. White House Press Secretary Jen Paskey says Republicans' latest offer doesn't, quote, meet the essential needs of the country to fix roads and bridges, position the country for a reliant, clean energy future, and create jobs. She says that Biden had reduced his plan by more than a trillion dollars, and Republicans had increased theirs by only $150 billion. Mm. A bipartisan group of senators led by Mitt Romney has been working on an alternative offer as a backup and will be in touch with the president about it. Paskey says that Biden will be in touch with members of the group while he is traveling to Europe. I didn't know he was going over to Europe. I just saw that today. But Uh I definitely think that... uh, I actually, I'm not going to say what I think because I don't have a, a super hard stance on this, but I'm glad that we did get some information before he heads off to Europe, and hopefully we can come to some kind of agreement. I mean, it's a really, I think, tough thing kind of going on. It's really, I think, pitting the two parties mm-hmm. together, but I don't know. I think it's definitely interesting what's going on over there, and I uh, hope that we actually do come to some kind of conclusion rather than just ending the negotiations all yeah, along. Yeah, and but we still could see that happen. It's too early on to tell, I'd say. But it's not too early on to tell how the markets closed today, Ashton. What do you say we take a look? Let's do it. Well, I thought today we were going to have a sell-off ahead of tomorrow's WASD report. And actually, while I'm talking WASD report here, I better mention some of those quick numbers uh, before I chat markets. Because like I said, corn and soybeans early on in the day were down hard. I think 
Um, they were looking to get squared up here ahead of the report, but thankfully corn actually finished higher on the day. But estimates heading into the report have old crop ending stocks declining by about 52 million bushels. And USDA could also cut their current or are anticipated to cut their current estimate for Brazil's corn production. Analysts are expecting their forecasts to be between 90 million metric tons and 95 million metric tons. The last report we saw USDA clock in at 102. So that would be a pretty drastic, pretty bullish reduction there. But uh, given what we know about Brazil's safrina corn crop may not be out of the question. Now, U.S. soybean old crop stocks are not expected to change a whole lot here during this report, and analysts are largely expecting that they leave that number for the most part alone. But new crop stocks are expected to be down maybe about a million bushels overall, and U.S. wheat ending stocks are expected to remain unchanged. So, we have what analysts are expecting. It could be a pretty bullish report for corn and maybe bullish to neutral for soybeans and wheat. But kicking things off here in the markets, the July corn contract down today, 10 and three quarters cents to close at 690 and three quarters. The D's up just a quarter of a cent today to close at 609 and three quarters. Soybeans had major losses today as the July contract shed 17 and a half cents to close at 1562 and a half. The November down eight and three quarters to close at 1448 and a quarter. Chicago wheat slightly lower today as the July contract shed two dollars, or excuse me, two and three quarters cents to close at six eighty two and a quarter. This September down two and three quarters to close at six eighty nine. Wrapping things out here with livestock today, we had a bit of mixed trade across the board as the August live cattle contract ended forty five cents higher to close at one eighteen twenty seven and a half. The October up a nickel to close at 123.97. And in feeder cattle today, lower as the August contract shed 97.5 cents to close at 148.27.5. The September cut $1.20 to close at 150.75. Now, lean hogs had some mixed trade today. We saw a little bit of red on the screen, a little bit of green on the screen. You look out here into the deferred contracts, and there was mostly strength. July, however, finished 30 cents lower to close at 121.50. The August up 7.5 cents to close at 118.75. And lastly, wrapping things out here with our Class 3 dairy futures. The June contract today, 16 cents higher to close at 17.18. The July up 10 cents to close at 17.56. Ashton, fill us in. I know you mentioned we're talking cattle, even though we're at the World Pork Expo. Fill us in on who we're talking to for today. Well, we're getting a cattle industry update from Scott Brown. Well, today we're talking all things cattle with Scott Brown, who is a livestock economist from the University of Missouri. Scott, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ashton. Well, Scott, first things first, let's get to know you just a little bit better, kind of go over what your day-to-day typically looks like as a livestock economist. Yeah, so I've been at the University of Missouri for uh, 30-plus years now, Uh, spent a lot of time uh, looking at all livestock markets in particular, but uh, out out in the state quite a bit, trying to help producers, uh, maybe not tell them where I think prices are actually headed, but the things I'm watching in terms of cattle markets that I think are going to be important as they make decisions about their operations. 
So Scott, there's definitely been a lot going on in the cattle industry or the cattle market, whatever you want to call it. So kind of walk us through some of those key points that we'll dive further into later on in our conversation and what folks should really be paying attention to right now. Yeah, so I think one of the things that's certainly front and center right now is just uh, got a lot of dry weather in many parts of the country. And I think that's affecting uh, cattle markets. You know, that tends to be more of a a Western focus at this point in time, but uh, one can look into the Dakotas and Montana as well and just find some awful dry weather. And, and we can sure talk about that in more detail, but uh, it's pretty early in the season to be talking about a, a drought already uh, uh, for, for cattle producers in particular. Um, high feed costs come along uh, with some of this discussion. You know, that's both uh, driven by, by demand for things like corn going to, to China uh, but uh, what do we do now with uh, feeder cattle prices as we move forward, as feed yards have to pay uh, $6.57 a bushel for, for corn these days? Uh, that, that's certainly an issue. I think when we see what's happening in terms of, of cattle markets in particular, I think we have a lot of cattle producers who feel like prices are too low relative to what we're seeing in terms of wholesale beef prices today. Um, a, a lot of concern about uh, the, the processing side of this industry. Uh, to me, that's kind of a post-COVID-19 discussion that needs to happen um, in terms of just what's ha- what's been the issues for processors as they deal with COVID-19. And, and I guess I kind of end with just, I mean, the demand for beef products has been uh, very strong, I think, as we're coming out of COVID-19 uh, here in the United States. There are a lot of folks that uh, are ready to get out, have a good meal. And I always say when you, you want to go out and uh, go have a really good meal, what do you eat? You usually put uh, steak on the center of the plate. And I think that certainly helped the cattle industry. So, Scott, you started off with weather there and you make the the comment that it's a little bit too early to be talking about drought when it comes to cattle producers. So when we're talking about drought right now? Are we really looking at the concern for what that's going to look like for, for crops and feed or more towards what that weather's going to be like for those producers later this summer? Yeah, so when I say too early, I, I, I mean that because, well, we should be growing pastures right now. We should be growing hay right now. Uh, typically, if you look at the data, um, so we're sitting here with uh, uh, what's pasture and range conditions that are historically poor, uh, 43% or so uh, uh, in poor, very poor condition as we sit here today. Um, that that kind of poor or very poor doesn't happen until later in the season when we get warmer weather. Um, we've only seen that kind of condition a little less than 10% of the time uh, in, in the history of keeping this data. And we've never seen it prior to July. Before, So sitting here in late May already with 40 plus percent of uh, pasture conditions, poor, very poor, sets us up for potentially a really tough rest of the year. Now, we'll have to wait and see what kind of rainfall we get, but uh, it it certainly hasn't started right. And it may be hard to make it up in some places where we should be growing pasture right now and we really aren't. So, Scott, I kind of want to take a look at capacity because I've been seeing a couple of headlines and I just kind of want to dive further into that. What are we seeing when it comes to meat packers and processors and the capacity for beef right now? 
Yes, so I will say it's it's very tight. This this is a, a an issue that uh, we've got folks on all sides in terms of what's really happening. But I will say you see some pretty large Saturday runs, which is a good indication that uh, there are plenty of cattle to be slaughtered right now uh, relative to shackle space. Uh, I think one of the things that we continue to see is that uh, running these processing plants, uh, the, the labor to do that has been tough. And so they haven't been able to operate at uh, full capacity, maybe on a normal weekday run. And that's created a situation where uh, cattle prices, fed cattle prices in particular, uh, have not moved up nearly to the extent that we've seen uh, wholesale beef prices on the other side. So strong demand by consumers have, have, I think, driven wholesale beef prices up. A lot of cattle producers are not very happy with that situation, just given uh, they'd sure like to see a larger share of that uh, consumer dollar getting back to them. And Scott, you talk about the the demand of beef. That was kind of your your final point when we were starting out there. And I mean, it, it definitely has grown. I mean, like you said, we're kind of coming out of the pandemic. People are wanting to go out more. They're eating more. So what might producers be able to do right now to kind of meet that demand? I mean, even if we are seeing this is, these issues, excuse me, I don't know if you have really any advice or if you want to be responsible for giving any advice, but what are some key things that producers can be doing right now to meet that demand? Well, I think the, the, the number one big issue always for cattle producers is making sure we're putting in front of consumers the, the products that they want. And I frankly give us an A in that uh, category already in that uh, we've, we've made a lot of changes in terms of the genetic makeup of the cattle herd in this country over the last several years. Uh, some of those genetic advances has certainly created beef that uh, is, is more in demand, more tender, more highly marbled, uh, all those things that let's make sure that we're meeting what consumers want. Kind of look at some of the things that, that have been happening post-COVID-19. Uh, We've got a lot more local processing trying to happen in many parts of the country. I think that's an option for you know some producers uh, to take advantage of in terms of I want to be able to, to market my product locally, hopefully for a, a premium price. And we're seeing some of that. So to me, those are some of the things that uh, we continue to, to work on from a domestic demand standpoint. Well, since we talked domestically, let's go ahead and talk about beef from a global standpoint. We're kind of in a quote unquote recovery mode. And when it comes to exports, we're still in that recovery period, even though we are, you know, pretty, I, want, I don't want to say pretty much out of the pandemic, but we're, we're getting there. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. So what do U.S. beef exports look like right now? Yeah, so it's been positive of late. Uh, you know, I, I often joke about uh, telling my students here on campus that, uh, you know, if somebody starts talking to you about global trade, that you'll be right 70% of the time if you just answer China. And, and I think here's a case for beef, uh, U.S. beef exports where China's been an important market for us. It's been a growing market, albeit small, uh, but it's the one that's really picked up um, momentum, momentum of late. Uh, so I see a lot of positives there. Uh, you know, to COVID-19, I'll remind us that I think in this country, we've certainly turned the corner, it would appear, on COVID-19. That's not necessarily... Uh, the same rate that other countries have been. You can take Japan, another big beef market for us, who I think are still uh, trying to fight through what are uh, another increase in caseload from COVID-19. So I think 
we're in front of uh, many countries in terms of that recovery. I expect places like Japan and South Korea uh, to, to continue to be important markets for us. I, I will continue to say I think the long-term growth in terms of overall meat consumption will likely occur outside the United States. So we want to keep building those export markets as much as we can. Uh, the other point I would make relative to COVID-19, we're going to see a number of economies around the world who are going to get some recovery uh, in income or gross domestic product, however you would like to measure that, that likely uh, increases consumption of beef. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the uh, looking beyond COVID-19. I think a lot of people are right there with you, Scott, trying to look forward there. But as we're looking forward throughout the rest of 2021, is there anything that you might be expecting or anticipating and that we should maybe look out to? I know you can't predict the future or anything. It'd be really nice if you could. But, you know, what are some key things that might be happening as we continue to go through the year? Yeah, so I think number one right now, weather matters a lot. Um I think there are a lot of cattle producers who are definitely in a tough time financially. Um, I, I encourage them to think a little bit longer term than just through the end of 2021. I know many of them may be just trying to survive at this point, but I, I might back us up to 2012 for a minute. So the last time we had a big drought in this country, um, if, if our memory uh, goes back to that period, we'll talk about 2014 as having record cattle prices. Um, a lot of that had to do with just the, the kinds of cuts we made in herds uh, as a result of the 2012 drought. If we were to repeat that in 2021, uh, by the time we get uh, into later 2022 and 2023, it'd be another time of pretty high prices. So I want producers to think a little bit longer term in terms of their strategy of how to get through what's a, a very tough financial time. Um, I, I guess more here in the short run, I would say Corn prices are going to matter a lot here. Um, we started this week with some lower corn prices. Uh, we're up pretty hard today as, as you and I talk. Um, we're a long ways from a corn crop in the bin this fall. And if we have a short corn crop in the United States, we're going to keep feed costs very high. And I think ultimately that's a tough fall for cow-calf producers trying to sell feeder cattle uh, the feed yards. Well, Scott, once again, I want to thank you for coming on today. It's definitely been great to talk about what we have been seeing and what we might be seeing later in the year. So thanks once again for coming and giving us some insight. You bet, Ashton. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks again there to Scott for coming on and chatting with us. I definitely think it's a, a timely one, and that's why we're featuring it today, even though we're at World Pork Expo. Not going to introduce any of those segments until probably, I guess, tomorrow. That makes that makes sense, huh, Delaney? Yeah, we'll, we'll probably start playing some stuff tomorrow, Ashton. Yeah, we didn't do too great of a job with planning, I guess. I don't know. I'm kind of running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I'm glad that you haven't been around to see that. But uh, for those folks that have seen it in the media center, I'm, I definitely apologize. But folks, if you want to tune in to our World Pork Expo coverage, You'll, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. I've posted some great stuff on stories already, so be sure to check that out. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.